Welcome to Bugs and Beards, the podcast home for everything fly fishing and fly tying. Kick back as we sit down and talk with some of your favorite fly tires and fishermen while we discuss with them the tips and techniques they've learned on the river and behind the vice so that you can use those lessons learned to make your time more effective. Hey everybody and welcome to Bugs and Beard Podcast again here. I'm your host Sean Holsinger. Today we're going to, this is our first episode so we're really excited about this. We're going to sit down and uh talk to the other guys here, the guys that are part of the show, and uh, we got two co-hosts with us. One today is Nick Malloy from Treta Goods and our good friend Pat Smith here. And we're going to sit down and discuss how we got to where we are today, uh, some of our goals as a podcast, and just try to get to know us a little better. So uh, how about Nick? Uh, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself here? Uh, I'm Nick Malloy. Um, as Sean mentioned, I am the co-owner of Treta Goods. I'm also the captain of Team Treta, the competitive fly fishing team from here in Central PA. Um, what I'd like to bring to the show is a more technical and some perspective from the competitive side of fly fishing, um, and that's that's every tactic that we use to, to make fishing better for us. Um, and yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great aspect. That's one that a lot of the podcasts don't really cover and get into is the competitive end of it. So I'm looking forward to you bringing that side of it and uh, just some of the guests that we're going to have because we have you on the show here. We're going to have some really great guests already lined up with us and uh, we'll let them out as they come. But um, we can really get some good information from a lot of really good fishermen. You want to say anything else about some of the people we have on or... Or how about, why don't you get into a little bit of your competition experience? Um, well, I've competed for three years now. Um, I've competed at a national level. Didn't do that great, but uh, we're working on that. Um, I compete probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 times a year, which is kind of a lot, uh, especially when you have to travel for it. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great thing. It's a great way to learn really fast. It's definitely not for everybody. Um, it takes a lot of time out of your life, not just to actual fish, but to... To, to do anything at a high level like that requires it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just, uh, it's a commitment. Um, you got to put a lot of hours in every night, tying flies, preparing, um, fishing, practicing. We, we call it practice, which is weird because everybody, like, gets away from work or gets away from their their families to, to, to relax on the river. It's still relaxing for us, but in a really weird, like, kind of morbid way that we're out really trying to improve ourselves. Um, but, but that's just the way we have to look at it. Right. It's actually, and one of the things that with this podcast that we do want to do is we want to shed some positive light on competition. There's a lot of negativeness to competition. And um, I know that I haven't competed personally, but my son competes and compete. Nick has taught my son a lot for the competition world. And there's so much that I've learned just by watching the competitions and that has made me a better fisherman. And there's so much too that people don't understand how you're catching incredible amounts of fish, but at the same time, your hands-on time on those fish is relatively zero yeah. compared to average fishermen yeah absolutely um i mean we the, the worst part about it is handing the fish off to a controller to to score it 
Um, so every time you catch a fish, you have to hand it to somebody else in your net while keeping it wet uh, using a, a wet score trough. Um, but that's that's the worst part about it, and that's not even bad. It's like maybe 15 seconds comparatively. People think it's you know they don't have fish out for a long time, but I see people on the river and they're fumbling all the time. But, fumbling and photos and everything else. And... Yeah, yeah, we rarely take photos. If we get a big fish, we'll you know take a minute out of our session to take a photo. But yeah, but time time is money in essence with competition fishing, and yep. you don't want to be spending your time. Yep. You want your flies in the water. Absolutely. Hey, let's get into our other co-host of the show here, Pat Smith. Pat is uh, one of the local guys here. And, uh, well, I'll say a little bit about myself real quick before we get into Pat. I, as most of you know, probably a lot of the reason why some of you came to the podcast is we have Wholesingers Fly Shop and my wholesingersflyshop.com YouTube channel. So that's probably where you know me from. But Pat is a big contributor to to the fly shop and what happens here and what we carry in the shop. He's our... Jokingly, we call him a research and development man, but he's the he's the wizard of the show here. He's going to help us with a lot of setup, behind the scenes stuff, but uh, he's going to be on the show a lot too. So, Pat, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and and your fishing experience? Uh, hello, my name is Pat Smith, and I don't bring a whole lot of the fly fishing experience that these guys do. I've been fishing for thirty some years. Did a lot of spin fishing. Got into fly fishing five years ago and took me by storm. But a lot of the guys here were traditional fishermen and I seen a lot of the stuff I was watching on the computers and stuff like that leaning towards the competition. I knew there was more and better ways to catch fish. Yeah, and uh, one of the things is like, it's kind of funny that you don't think that you don't have the experience that the two of us have, but you have the experience that a lot of our guests are going to have, a lot of our listeners to this show. You have that newbie experience. You haven't been in the industry and that kind of stuff. So you bring a great perspective to the show that we're really looking forward to there. Good. So um, how about you? Do you have any questions for Nick or anything? Oh, I'm Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm still learning a lot about Nick. Nick, a lot of the competition guys that I've run into and talked, they all have their own ways of doing things. Some guys are specific about beads, which I know Nick. Mm-hmm. Nick is a copper guy. Yeah, Talking to Nick about those parts, it, and yeah. Nick, he's like copper, silver, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, those two are the winners. But right. I will say, the hooks, you know, we. I'm sure this is going to come up. We have talked and played with umpteen different hooks. And last spring, we got into playing with Nick's tread of hooks. And they were definitely a game changer. Right. We carry a lot of, a couple different brands of hooks here at the shop. And the tread of hooks, especially the jig hooks, the upside downies, we just can't keep them on the shelf. So it's a great hook. If you're, if you're interested in a new line of hooks, there's one to check out for you. But um, you also have some other products with your Tread of Goods line too, though, right? Yeah, we sell various apparel, um, which is just fun for us to do. It's basically a hobby, but the bread and butter is in our hooks and beads. Right. That's really what helps people. I mean, a shirt's not going to help people. but No, shirts are just fun. Yeah, absolutely. There again, my son had to have the mop fly one. Yeah, which yeah. would, yeah. But he's not as serious as you. I will not let him get a mop fly tattooed on his arm. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't let anybody else do that either unless they have their life figured out. So what drove you to 
having your own hooks? Uh, really, it was uh, a few guys on my team. Uh, we were trying to source a lot of hooks because a few of us tie a lot and a few of us don't. And whoever's listening to this, they know who they are. Um, but we were thinking, you know, what if we could buy, you know, bulk hooks that are that are good? So we reached out to a ton of different suppliers. Um, they're all overseas. Um, I'm sorry for anybody out there, but there's no hooks made in America. That's just there. You'd pay a hundred dollars for a pack of twenty-five of them, and that would be like zero margin on that. So. We, we have what's called OSHA here in the United States. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it is what it is. That's right. everything. But, uh, but yeah, so we found our supplier, um, and we tested them out, and we're like, wow, these are, like, game-changing. Like, all of our other hooks, like, we've used other brands, and they'd either bend out, they'd rust, they just didn't fit this bill, or they didn't fit this bill, and, and they were, they just, they checked all the boxes. So we just decided to start selling them. We were like, this might be a good opportunity, and we just did it. And it's not, you know, our, our business is not like, you know, uh, we, we need to crush our competitors or whatever. It's like, uh, it's our hobby. Like, it's just a, another, my, one of my good friends and, and I just selling them. So it, it's nothing crazy. We just put our money into it at the beginning, and it's just running itself, so. Right, and and I will vouch for them. They are great hooks. I tie predominantly almost all my jigs on those jig hooks, and uh, they hold fish. That's the thing. They hold fish, and and they ride true. For some reason, I don't know why, but I hook more fish in the upper lip with them, Mm -hmm. and of course, right in the snout, right in the snout where it's that good hard part of the nose where the hook will stay in. It's just we have the best luck with them. Um. Pat, is there anything else, like, anything that you, what's your favorite style of fishing? We'll go with that. There's a question for you. I would have to say Euro. Yeah, I, but what, what facet of that, facet of that, if you will? Facet. <laughs> what facet? What facet you? You kind of got me lost on that one. I mean, there's Euro nymphing, but there's, there's the different underlying methods of it like Europe is huge and it's weird like whenever you talk to we'll have guys on the show talking about it but these different countries that come in have all have these different styles because of the water they fish so for example um, the youth team was just in Poland and Polish nymphing is this weird technique where you use like you would think it's Euro nymphing like we're going to go over there and tight line or just like cast like upstream with float our cider or just use this or whatever they would use like super light flies or even unweighted flies and cast like just a four weight line as far as they could upstream and just put a mend on it. Hmm. And that, that was it. Because there's like, there's not structure. There's all their water is like weird. I don't know if that's like generalizing the entire country, but that's what they learned Polish nymphing was. So there's all these different kinds. Okay, well, here's a question. We'll, hmm. we'll throw back the nickel on this one. We all know there's Polish nymphing, Spanish nymphing, Czech nymphing. Euro nymphing is the Americanized version of the combination of all of them together. Absolutely. So why don't you explain that end of it a little bit? Um, So, I mean, if you really get involved with it uh, and you really think about it and you really put some of those methods to practice, Euro nymphing, to me, is 
I mean, it, it is putting that combination of, of all of those different countries together, what we've learned over the years, what those competitors, those world's competitors brought back with them every year they competed. Um, for example, you know, if you're, if you're going to be French nymphing, you're going to be very light and upstream. You could do that with any rig. Right. Um, you know, and you could, you know, those different methods, we call it floating our cider. They call it something else right. if they wanted. Um, there's all those different methods for different stream types. So if you're on a stream that has one minute, there's a deep flat, and then another minute, it's just pocket water. Like, you have to adapt really quickly. So uranimphing is all of those different things. The deep flat, you're casting, you're bombing cast upstream and, and floating your cider. So adjusting your leader to suit your needs at that time. You, you certainly could. Uh, in, in competition, we just take different rods for that stuff. But if we're just out fishing, we'll just float our cider with anything. It might not be as, as great. Um, but, you know, you're those different water types you're picking a different method for each one and you're adjusting even in if you have to do something different like in pocket water you might want to dry drop it so you're adjusting those different little methods as you go so that's your own nymphing to me in a whole and then you have all those little subcategories right now i'm gonna guess for you you would say your version of it would be tight lining oh yeah right and that would probably, for the most part, be mine, too, would be the tight lining. I do the tight lining. I like to bend the rules a little bit. <laughs> I, I see a lot of guys on Facebook, and they're like, oh, you can't go out there and chuck headbanger streamers with a Euro rod. I see lots of guys questioning that, and they're asking these guys how they're doing it. You've been with me, and I've done it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I do it, too. We know people that have done it. That's not really a Euro nymphing situation, but I still think you're adapting to what you're fishing in that area. If you're fishing a big deep hole and you're like, I know there's big fish in here and you're chucking flies and changing flies and for me I just big fish eat big fish. Sure, yeah. So I chuck big baits when I get into a spot where I know there's big fish and I don't think you need a special rod for that. A lot of the guys say that. They're like, oh, you got to have a five-weight regular rod. You know, carry two, three rods with you going up the creek. Now, like you said, you guys do it for comps. That's different. That's different. <laughs> That's different, right. yeah. But for the average guy going up the stream, he's not going to carry two, three. It's uh, just awkward. That's the only When yeah. you're fishing a big streamer on a on a three-weight, it's awkward. Oh, yeah. But right. what, I mean, it. It, once you hook a fish, it's the same as any other fish. Right. Yep, I agree. And and to to add to Pat, I can remember a day when I was fishing with one of your one of your kids on your team there, and uh, I just drove him nuts because I switched to wet flies with my twenty foot leader and figured it out really quick, and he couldn't figure it out and couldn't catch fish, and that, that drove him nuts. But it's just an adaptability thing and mm-hmm. figuring out how to how to make the best of the situation. Yeah, and that's a lot of the times uh, we were fishing in um, North Carolina preparing for youth nationals. I was just there as a as a, uh, a mentor. But uh, one of the streams, uh, these fish were sitting, they were suspended. So, like, normally around here in Pennsylvania, we, like, we don't get fish suspended. They're always sitting on the bottom. Like, right. so, I mean, they'll, they'll come up and eat an emerger. Right, they'll come from the bottom to eat. But they don't sit mid-column right. unless they're in, like, a super deep hole maybe. Right. But these fish were all suspended, and it was super awkward. And um, you could, you were figuring it out, like you were like, oh, I could just fish this mid-column, and you just 
held a little higher up. You didn't let it sink as deep. Or you let it sink, and you lifted that rod so fast out of the water, and they ate it on the on the rise. Yeah. Which the bugs don't naturally do that. So it's like the wet fly thing. Oh yeah. yeah. If you saw those fish, it, they would they would have ate wet flies all day. Yeah. Well, with this situation with him, he switched to a dry dropper, but it got so dark that he couldn't see his dry. Right. So he couldn't see when they were just getting hit on the dropper. Well, on a wet fly, the wet fly is your indicator. Pretty much, you just hang on. Yeah, you hang on, and you when the rod bends in half, you set the hook. Yeah. And he was kind of getting frustrated because I was just catching one after another, and all I did was put a weighted a weighted wet fly on the end to get me to be able to cast that twenty foot leader, and was swinging the the hatch that was coming off on the other one, was tearing them up. But it, it's so fun that I can switch with that twenty foot leader, and like a lot of guys will complain about, oh, you don't need that, you don't need that. No, you don't need it. You can fish with a 9-foot-5x leader, and that's just fine. But I can be more versatile and fish a lot more versatile with the 20-foot mm-hmm. leader. I mean, I, I ha- you don't have to change. When I'm in a deep hole, hey, you just drop her a little deeper, you know? it's Yeah, yeah and then you could fish single dry if you want. Right. You could, you could do whatever you want. You're not, you're not going to cast it 50 feet with a 20-foot leader. Not if you made it a little shorter, maybe. but right. Yeah, you shorten up your leader, you can cast it when you get to be able to use your fly line a little bit more for the cast. I mean, that's the difference you're using your fly line in a dry fly leader setup. Yep. But if you're fishing close and tight, which a lot of our fishing around here, that's one thing I will say here. Well, I'll take a little time out. We're central Pennsylvania guys here. We're in the heart of fly fishing country. And uh, so a lot of the things that we may be talking about here may not fit into the guys that are from out west, but... It's all the same. You just, a lot of our streams around here are smaller streams. And even the bigger streams, you just look for the small stream inside the big stream when you're fishing, too. So. Pretty much, yep. So, it, I mean, it's not really that we're going to be talking like a foreign language to you in our fishing style, but we have that central Pennsylvania feel to us. And uh, that's what we're used to fishing the little limestones, some spring cricks. So, uh, it's a great area to live. One thing, the shop here, we have Holsinger's Fly Shop, and it's in, like I said, central Pennsylvania, right smack dab in the middle on the lower side. And within, what, 20 miles of the shop, we got probably six Class A trout waters. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you might be you might be light on that, but we'll keep it I'm, at that. I'm yeah. probably light on that, yeah. I mean, that's Class A, and then there's stocked waters, too. Class A, for, for the guys not from Pennsylvania, Class A is wild trout producing water. Water that can produce trout on its own that doesn't need to be stocked. And uh, we have very healthy populations of brown trout, wild browns around here. So um, what actually got you into fly fishing to begin with, Pat? Let's go with that question. I uh, had a hard fact. And I didn't have a lot going on at home. I was just sitting there, didn't have a lot to do, and... My brother-in-law, he had come to me, and he's like, hey, you love the fish. I said, yeah, I love the fish. And he's like, I know you fly fish. I said, yeah, off and on. And Well, you got to get into tying flies. And I, the guys I work with, they would laugh about this now because I just, for years, I was like, I am not tying flies. I did not see the money that you put into it. And I, I, I could not see another way of going about it. And, it got the best of me, and I walked into this shop, and your dad, Ron, sold me the tools. One or two flies that night, 
And then he sent me on my way with some material to tie eh, at least two or three patterns. And I've been hooked ever since. <laughs> yeah, you've been really hooked. You're, the, you're, a, you're a regular here when you find the time to get in here. But the other thing that you bring to the shop is the, um, like I said, we have, we jokingly call you our research and development guy. You spend a lot of time on the internet, finding out, trying to figure out what the new thing, what the next big fly is going to be, and the next big material. And that's one thing that's kept us ahead in the game. And one of those things was treta hooks, you know. And we was able to get them into the shop, and we're the only shop other than your website that carries mm -hmm. them. And uh, so it's they're flying off the shelf here. Um, but, yeah, you've done a great job, Pat, with finding different things that, Maybe out of the ordinary or something, but or that's new, new to the market, just because of what you've watched and seen on YouTube and that kind of stuff. It's definitely a lot. There's a lot of material out there, and then there's a lot of there's two different sides to the fly fishing. There's old school, and I don't know if you'd call it new school. They call us your nymphers, but I like. A lot of the things that they teach you, the older fellas, like Nick was saying earlier about your flies, these fish were suspended and you guys just jigged your flies up a little bit and sometimes just pulling them out of the water, trout chase them. The older fellas, they would tell you there is no way that's going to work. It has to be a perfect presentation, can't be no drag, no drift, can't do this, can't do that. And, I'm kind of like Nick. You've got to make the best situation for what it is. Your material is like that. You have guys that want to try a new material, and then you have guys that, no matter how good that new material is, it's not going to outfish what they have today. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, uh, uh, what's the, it's not Danville thread. That's it. Yeah. Yep. It, you know, that's one of the biggest ones we got. Guys want Danville thread. Well, UTC makes awesome thread what's the difference it's thread is thread that's one of the big things that i always try to point out in my youtube channel in my videos substitute use what you have when you tie um i, I can't stress that enough it, that's the crazy thing about fly tying and i think a, where a lot of the euro nymphing stuff came from a lot of the euro nymphing has simplified fly fishing it, yeah, it really totally has it. it, especially the fly tying end of it. Less is more in your own thing, yeah. and there's been a lot of material that's hit the market because of it, that just simplifies things, and and you have to learn to adapt to that kind of stuff. But just some of the, I mean, I'm just we're just sitting here in the shop now and looking on the walls at some of the stuff we have that you wouldn't see in some shops. That's kind of funny to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just because of the local influence as well. I mean, everybody wants it. Everybody wants to do it. It's a method that works. Um, I mean, it's a method that works anywhere. You were mentioning it out west earlier. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you want to produce a lot of fish, like, you could go and fish out west and, you know, do great any day. But, oh, like, definitely. But if you, if you nymph it, it's, it's unreal. Yeah. It, it's unreal. If you take your tactics here and just, there's just trout. Oh, definitely. And they're dumb. And, and, you know, it's funny, too, that it's it crosses species, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are a little different for different fish in different areas, and you have to learn the different areas. But, again, but they're just trout. They're just trout. And the thing about Euro-nymphing is 
one of the big things about your nymphing is is you are putting the fly the pre, you're presenting your fly to the fish in its natural drift mm -hmm. that's the thing that makes it look natural to the fish we're not imitating exactly the fly we're not tying an elaborate blue-winged olive with two wings laid back and drifting it down the surface we're tying a pertagon which is nothing but a bullet yeah silhouette it's silhouette of a bullet but if you lay that silhouette against a blue-winged olive on the bottom of a rock when you lift it over perfect match yeah pretty much yeah yeah that's the thing you have to to, to grasp with the euro nymphing you can see that when you when you pick things up like that but it's the presentation of the fly that catches the fish less than the than the fly actually itself that catches the fish and um that's kind of one of the biggest misconceptions you have to get over these pretty flies we tie some ugly looking flies so ugly they named them the turd yeah oh yeah yeah i mean anything that's simple enough that i mean a lot of the stuff that we tie is just bred out of this doesn't take long right. if i see a fly that might work I mean, you know, it, working, it, I'm always skeptical when I see a new fly because I'm like, all right, I know what I know, and, you know, trout are, they're dumb, and I know how this drifts. Um, when I, even so, when I look at flies, I, I look at how they're going to drift, and it's like right. um, like a thinner profile in, like, a hard-bodied fly or even a waltz worm, but a thin waltz worm, like, it's going to sink fast. And, you know, you have, you know, your mops, you have your your eggs and, and things that are that are a little bit bulkier like they don't sink fast at all and they affect your drift and you have to know when to use stuff like that so when i look at new flies like that i get i get skeptical but on the same token we we tie things that don't take long right and that's what we like if i if i see something crazy i'm like ah, eh, it takes too long i'm not going to tie any of those and i'll just go back to tying something else well while we're on that let's i'm going to change course a little bit here how we got to be here today and uh that's and the name bugs and beards bugs and beards came out of a little group of us that started a fly tying here in the shop like every other every other thursday night uh there's a group of us that got together and we still do uh it's off season right now so it's wrestling season for my son so i'm driving crazy but uh anyway we get together, we sit around and tie and share patterns with each other, and that was one of the funny things that you watch and and how our group as a whole has changed too. But we'll get in here, and I tie for YouTube and different things like that, so I'm not constantly always tying Euro patterns to fill my box. I'm tying for videos to show customers and stuff to the shop and my YouTube channel, what different methods to tie. And I will say my YouTube channel is more, I try to teach... When, when I teach on the YouTube channel, I try to teach technique over pattern. And like the last episode I did here as we're filming or as we're recording this right now was a 20 inch stone. The 20 inch stone I tied simply because there's so many common techniques in that fly that you use in other flies. There's the splayed wings of the biots or the splayed tail tying biots in how to do that using peacock body to wrap the thorax. How many flies have a peacock thorax? Like there's, and feather wings for, or sorry, feathers for the, the legs on the fly. The turkey, the turkey wing case. I try to try, sorry, I try to tie flies that show techniques rather than patterns. And, uh, but as I tie, I tie a lot of that kind of stuff. But when we sit here at the table and tie, if it's more than two minutes, you're not tying it. Nope. 
<laughs> nope, absolutely not. Yeah. It's fast and simple. Mm-hmm. Pat, what do you like to tie? I like to tie flies. Kind of like Nick. I want them fast, simple, because you lose a lot of them. Yeah. I mean. Given on the day, too. It's really yeah, weird, right. isn't it? Some days you can go out and fish, and you're like, hey, I only lost one or two flies. And the next day you go, you might lose a dozen. Yeah, it's weird. And to put them back into my box, I'm tying. So I want something that I can produce very fast, fill in my box, and be done and ready for the next time. Right. With variation, too. Yes. Yeah. Color. Now, I... Nick, how long have you been tying? Oh, I have to think about that. A number of years. Tying at, at this capacity, like, like three or four years, yeah. Okay. Um, but like, uh, I don't know, like six or seven years, something like that. Okay, well, how old are you? 26. Okay, I've tied longer than he's been alive. <laughs> that makes so, me that makes me feel old, Sean. No, that makes me <laughs> feel old. <laughs> no, I've been tying for thirty years. I've been tying since I was twelve. I'm forty three now, so twenty one years. And uh I actually enjoy the old school flies a lot to get back to tying them every now and then. Uh, I'll go through cycles where I'll tie for myself, which is a lot of Euro patterns and that kind of stuff, and then like, man, I'm bored with this, let's do Let's do some wet flies. Oh, I agree. I still like to sit down and tie some of those patterns. But at the end of the day, when I'm done and I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, that took a lot of time. And if I go out and lose it in a snag or in a fish, yeah, I tie, I'll never get that time back. I tie a lot of shallow water flies, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. I'm not, I'm not fishing. My stone flies, I'm not fishing them if I can't wade to them a lot of times. I agree. Yep. But I'll tell you what, another thing, just a little off track again, I tend to bunny trail. Um, I'll, I'll get back to something I was saying with Nick here. The urine-nymphing style doesn't just work for trout. It works for smallmouth. Pat and I had a blast this year oh, yeah. fishing for smallmouth with the urine-nymph technique. And stoneflies, it's the, because it's the same thing. Well, actually where we were fishing, it was one cast trout, one cast smallmouth. So that made it a blast, But um, which is kind of unique to have a cold water and a warm water fish right together like that. But, um, but man, that technique is just killer. And it, it also kills on the steelhead, too. Oh, yeah. And it kills on the local uh, landscape company's koi ponds, too. It's great there. Yeah, we won't go there, though. <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening to that. Just incriminated myself. Oh, I thought you were incriminating somebody else. Well, I mean, that's who... Taught them that. Oh, okay. Yeah. They just blast nymphs. They don't know what they are, but they blast them. Well, that's funny. Plastic pond. You don't have... Well, I guess they would see little mosquito nymphs swimming around, maybe. Yeah, yeah probably. The crick. Yeah. They probably see more than you think. Yeah, maybe. it might be. It's not even plastic yet. I don't think it's plastic. Well, it might be lined, but there's rocks lined. in there. Oh, yeah, that's true. But anyway... <laughs> Anyway, let's talk a little bit about um, just what direction we want this show to get as we start to close up the show here. We want to, like I said earlier to you, we want to bring a show that's entertaining and educational, and that's the big thing. We want to try to bring a lot of the people in here that that you know. Um, like I, We all have different aspects. Nick is our 
Nick is our guy who is our Euro comp guy. He knows a lot of the competition guys. Pat has a lot of the social media connections. So we're going to have some guests that you know from social media and stuff like that. And uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a tire. I'm a show tire. So I do a lot of the show scenes, know a lot of the guys that you know. And uh, we became good friends with them. Like, I will say, like, we'll have guys like Tim Camesa on here. And, you know, Tim Fisher's with us a lot here at the shop. So we're going to have him on probably a couple times. And just guys like that. We're going to have a, a varied audience. So to keep you always interested. And is there anything you guys want to add to what we're going to bring to the show? I think diversity. Um, and I, I think that's that's great for all ages of, of fly fishermen out there. And even age, age in an actual age and age in experience of fly fishing. Um, like, like you said, uh, Sean, we have fly tires, um, we have competitors that are coming in, we have conservationists. Right. Is that a word? Conservationalists? Um, um, conservationist, I think it would be. I'm going to look that one up. Um, yeah. that we have just a, a lot of different, different people coming in. Um, so it's not going to be like just one of those guide podcasts that talks about their guide outfitter or anything like that right we kind of want to stay away from that and have something a little bit unique and you know have more of a, a relationship there you go with pod, a good word there. podcast rather than a an advertisement style of a podcast like um like i said earlier here nick owns trotted goods and i have wholesinger fly shop along with my dad ron and you know that's not what this is about this is about you know about sharing this the great sport that we love so I, we're gonna blast com out there a lot and try to goods too but that's not what it's about and uh, we just want to welcome everybody to the show here and if there's anything you guys want to hear any guests that you think would be cool guests to have on the show you know we're gonna have uh we're gonna have this out on a couple of different platforms we'll have a website a facebook page all that kind of stuff Actually, we have the Facebook page, the Bugs and Beards group. You can just click on the link to get accepted to the to the group. But, um, you know, hit us up and message us. There's guys that we don't know that could be great guests that maybe you guys know. So feel free to reach out to us that way. And we're definitely going to have a melting pot. I mean, it's not just going to be Euro. Oh, no it's doubt, no. going to be streamers and commercial tires youtube tires yep yeah a lot of youtube tires well not a lot of youtube there's not a lot of well there is a lot of youtube tires out there but there's some that are better than others yes so so we'll 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 stop there but um no and you know i have a one one of my mentors you know i want to have my mentor on here that taught us how to wet fly fish it's almost a forgotten art form and uh, I love to wet fly fish. I got Pat hooked on it there the one year, and then he got into your anything. And I still fish wet flies. Yeah, at the right time, you can't beat it. Yes, it's fun. Yeah, it's a blast. Like yeah, it's it's a blast. That's exactly right. It's a blast when they hit your. Hit and your you wet still fly. can do it. I mean, once in a blue moon, I will still have a heavier point fly and throw that wet fly on top. Well, the other and it still works. Oh yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, too, like, when you're a, an addict like me, and I'm not going to say how many rods I have, because then my wife might know, 
But if you're an addict like me, you have multiple rods and you just don't want to fish the 10 foot 3 every time you go out or the 10 foot 2, whatever. You, you like to pull the 7 foot 3 weight out every now and then, swing a tandem rig and feel the rod bend in half whenever one of them hits it. So you're just sitting over here laughing at me. Like, <laughs> that's not me. <laughs> I just do that on my rod. Just oh. swing them. You don't need wet flies. Just use your nymphs. Just swing them up. Oh, I fish. Well, and that, and there's another thing, too, we'll get into. Um, we'll probably hit on that someday, too. Uh, what rod you need to have, and then that you actually don't need to have that rod. You can fish with what you have. Right. That'd be a good topic for a show. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fish with what you have, just like tie with what you have. Because, I, I mean, I've done YouTube videos using an eight and a half foot four weight just to prove that you can euro nymph on an eight and a half foot four weight. Yeah. I've cut steelhead euro nymphing on an eight and a half foot four weight. Yeah, I mean you can. Right, you can. It's not the most productive. It's right. not the most efficient, but it can be done. Yeah, you can do it on anything. Yeah. If you, you can do it on a bamboo pole if you want. Whatever right. you it, The technique, the style is the same no matter what rod length you have. Just some rods would be more effective than other rods. Yeah. It's just all it's all efficiency and, and, and effectiveness. I can get a lot more reach with my 11-foot rod than your 8-foot right. rod. Yep. It's just those little things. That's it. Yep. You don't want to be out on you know a big, big wide-open river with an 8.5-foot. You can't reach what you can with an 11-foot. That's right. A lot of walking. Yeah. So. Zigzagging back and forth. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's about it for today's show, guys. We thank you for joining us, and uh, we hope you keep coming back to us and listening to us. And like we said, reach out to us. We're going to be on a couple different social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, things like that. We'll have a website up. And uh, reach out to us if you have anybody you'd like to see on the show. Anything else for you guys, Dad? That's it. Thanks, guys. Hope you tune in. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bugs and Beer Podcast. This podcast was brought to you in part by Holsingersflyshop.com and Trotta Goods. We truly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to our show. If you enjoyed the show, please take a second to smash the like button and subscribe to us. You can find our show on popular podcast apps like Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Until next time, keep your tip up and tight lines.